Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Peter Davis, who is the founder and CEO of Ampjar. This is a company that connects brands to the next big ad platform, essentially is letting them reach more of their customers every day. They instantly match brands with complimentary brands who will then share their best content with their own loyal customers. This is a company that's raised about $2 million in funding. They went through the launch accelerator by Jason Calcanis, backed by Tribeca Venture Partners, as well as Zelkova Ventures. And in this episode, we go through how he started this business, where this idea came from, how he's grown it since, and really what's next and where where this company is going in the future. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And of course, you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. That just helps more people find the show. Without further ado, here is Peter Davis, the founder and CEO of Ampjar. Pete, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Yes, great to have you on the show. And it's always crazy to me talking to someone from what seems like a world away and just seamless and integrated into this this platform is amazing. And I love talking to people all across the country, all across the world. And what I'm curious about with, with Amjar and your company, working with a variety of brands really all over, like how did you get started with Amjar in the first place, Pete? Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a long story. Let me, let me kind of take you take you back to the start. So originally uh, we ran a marketing agency. So I ran a, a early days social media agency down here in Melbourne. We it, it was the original pitch was like this is what Facebook is and this is how brands use Facebook to grow. <laughs> um, and so we were we were like the new kids on the block. We knew our way around. We worked with all sizes like we we worked with all sizes of brands. We worked with a bank, like a billion, multi-billion dollar company running the social media because no one else knew how to do it. No one else knew what was going on. And so we did all that kind of stuff. Um, But mostly we were fashion, beauty, lifestyle. And so we got into all parts of digital. We did like email marketing for people, worked out how well that worked. Then in 2017, we sold the agency to private equity. Just everything aligned at the time and it just made sense. And it was a nice exit, which worked quite well. Um... And so we just had twin girls and who are now, they're now five. Yeah. But so, so yeah, actually the congrats was due a long time ago, Justin, but I'll, I'll take um, <laughs> be more relevant a long time ago. Um, but yeah. Well, so, they're still alive. That's the key. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really it. Um, so yeah, we had twin girls then. And one part that I really loved was that my wife would find these tiny little brands on Instagram and just order from them. And you'd get this little hand-packed parcel arrive to your door and it had a handwritten note in it. And you were always taking like a little bit of a risk because it wasn't like backed up by Amazon's returns policy or whatever else it is. So, um, but when you open the little package, like you had the handwritten note and it just felt like a really joyful experience. And so I just loved it. And I, I thought that these guys just, when you looked at what they did on social, they were so engaged and they just kind of, they just kind of broke the mold of what a brand is and what a brand can can do. So I really just wanted to do something in the space. And so we saw that one thing that these brands struggled with was email marketing. So we launched a company that built email campaigns from a brand's most popular social content. And it went pretty well. Like We quickly had a few hundred people using it and it was going really well. But when we spoke with our customers, the one thing that we couldn't get away from that was that they valued engaging their current customers, but what they wanted more than anything else was how to acquire more customers. Like engaging current was something they did on Instagram all the time, on Facebook, on stories or whatever else it was. But 
acquiring new customers was their big, big challenge. And yeah. so the big, the big insight we had from the email stuff was that across the first 5 million emails we sent, there was an average open rate of 42% across all those emails Jeez. and the average click rate of 5.2%. Um, yeah, and, and, and this wasn't us, this was them. Like, it had nothing to do with us or very, very little to do with us. Like, the emails we sent were cool and simple and all that kind of stuff, but it was just opening up a new way for them to be able to communicate with their customers. But more, more for us was that it just told us how engaged their customers were and that this is, you know, when we worked with big brands, we worked with brands like Burt's Bees and when we worked with them, it's like, what, what can we get on an email campaign? Can we, can we manage to get one that's going to get an 18, 19% open rate? Like that's a massive win over there. Whereas these small brands are just killing it, like doing, doing great. <laughs> so, so we said, okay, we've got one brand over here that sells, that sells like kids stuff to women in their thirties, has an incredibly engaged audience. And we've got another brand over here that sells accessories to women in their thirties that has an incredibly engaged audience. And they're both, to try to acquire customers, they're both going up to Facebook and paying Facebook to try to use Facebook advertising, which they're probably doing quite badly, to acquire more customers. So we're saying, well, what if there was a way that we could connect them up and instead create a connection between the two of them so that they can ex essentially exchange access to customers in a really positive way for everyone involved? And so then it all just kind of went from there. We, we started off with what we call shout outs in email campaigns, and then now we're uh, shout outs and email and in social and uh, post checkout. And it's essentially a whole big collaborative community of people who are just shouting each other out and helping each other reach more customers and then reaching more customers themselves. And for that then, so understanding that you had this kind of insight around it, like you can leverage both of their audiences. Obviously, it wouldn't be like competing companies necessarily because that would, would not make sense. But with that too, then what was the business model behind it from Amtar's perspective then? Yeah, so... At the start, we were like, okay, this this is just pure SaaS. It's just, they're just going to pay a cost to be part of it. Then we can also, the, the one other audience that we can't, haven't really talked about is the is like big brands. And so we had a bunch of big brand relationships from agency days. And so we talked to some big brands about it and they were saying, we're always looking for new ways to acquire customers. Like we're, we're the same. We only have Facebook advertising that we can use in Google advertising. And there's some other stuff that's starting to come in. Like, you know, you could advertise on Quora or, and Pinterest and Snap and those kind of things. But really, 99% of, of, of the line spent is going into Facebook and Google. Right. And so they, so they looked at it and said, well, can we be a part of this? Like, how, how do we do it? And so the way that Amchow works is that one brand, when one brand shout outs another brand, they earn credits. And then it means when they've got credits, they can be shouted out by someone else. And so the credits just kind of bounce around the system and get... Um, and just get used so that people can be shouted out, but they're also done in, in like a, in a fair way. So if you've got, for instance, 5,000 followers and you shout someone out and it reaches a thousand people and it gets a hundred clicks, well, that, that has a value to it. And then there's someone else who's got half that they've got a couple of like two and a half thousand followers and they, and it reaches 250 people and it gets 50 clicks. That's only worth half. And so, yeah. What we do is we, we essentially put a price on everything. We, we put the infrastructure in place so that when one, one brand does a shout out, they get the value, the value is quantified and they get charged based on what they actually get, not just the fact that, oh, tick, that was a shout out. But instead it's like, okay, that was a view, that was a click, this is what it's worth, this is how it all comes together. Essentially what we call karma credits underpins the whole system. And so what happens is then we have big brands who want to come in and, and, and be a part of this. So what they do is they buy karma credits. 
And so we make money in two ways. One is when people just pay to use the platform. And then the other is when people come in and um, buy credits because they're, they're not, it's harder for them to do shout outs. So someone like Lululemon isn't going to do shout outs on social and in email. It's just a bit too hard for them to do it, but they can come in and, and buy a bunch of credits so that they get shouted out. And with that system, then was that from the beginning like the same type of model, or like what was it in the very beginning, two thousand seventeen, when you when you started this, in terms of like what the business model was? Because I always love how companies evolve over time. Yeah, we, and we we were our pricing was Mailchimp pricing. We just we we said look, we're an email product. Let's just on when we were email, we were saying look, it's just the same as Mailchimp. So people are going to use us for this and this. If they got this many subscribers, we'll charge them this. This many subscribers, we'll charge them this, and it just worked out like that. Then we went to more of a model, which was like, we're still going to, we're still going to base it on email subscribers for a while, but we're going to simplify it because actually we actually want the bigger brands to be a part of this. And rather than saying, yeah. hey, we're going to penalize you and charge you more, we actually said, well, actually we want you to use it more. So what, so we kind of just got a little bit more generous with the pricing. And so people were, people were coming across to use us for email and then they were including shout outs in their emails. And so that kind of worked. Um, but the big evolution of the pricing model is, is what we have right now. So what we have right now is our pricing is very strange. Now our pricing is, it's, <laughs> it's worked, it, it worked out, but it's, it's different is we actually were $22 a month as a flat fee, but we don't charge people if they're active. So our big thing now is we want more and more brands to be shouting each other out. So what we say is if you're going to shout people out, you're you're adding to this community. You're improving the community. You're lifting other people up and helping other people to grow. Yes, you're helping yourself at the same time, but to have this community of brands who are help, helping each other out in the in this model, it means that we value shout outs more than we value that $22. So we actually say it's $22, but we won't charge you if you do 12 shout outs in a month. Okay, so what, there's a little bit to unpack there with with, with yeah. that. I, I'm curious, Pete, how did you end up getting to that to that kind of model, which is really interesting. I'm curious how you got to it, though. Yeah, I think it's it's just looking at what your north star is. And so we, we you know, we're venture backed. We raised a couple of million dollars um, a year and a bit ago. Um, and so for us to turn around and say, "Oh, we really care about that that extra ten thousand dollars of revenue in a month," we don't care about that as much as as getting as having a really kicking and screaming community who are constantly helping each other out, constantly shouting, shouting other people out and helping people, um, helping people to grow. Because when people have a great experience and they get shared, then they look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. Like I'm going to go do more of this because then I'm going to get more of that. And so they do more then they get more. And it just, it's like a flywheel it just starts turning around and round and round. So for us to get this, this flywheel really churning at the start, really turning, turning, we, we know that our North star is shout outs is how many people are doing shout outs, what the net reach of shout outs are, what the value is that we're creating for our customers. That's more important for us than saying, is it, did we make $20,000 a month or $10,000 a month? Or did we make 50 or 60? Like that, that difference isn't a big deal for us. It's about being able to say this community is working and, and this is, and people are getting to that like aha moment. That's our North star. With that as well, understand that you, you mentioned you had an exit before with the agency, and then you, you said like a year or so ago you decided to to raise funding. How did you take the decision to to raise funding versus bootstrapping? Uh, I'm curious about that too. Yeah, it's a good question. I think when we came to it, it, it just kind of all happened in one turn. I think that we'd seen I'd seen a bunch of people who'd do, done well with startups. Um, just got some friends who have had good exits and done good things, and we looked at it, and, and we can see the value of how 
how quickly you can turn a business into something incredible overnight. And I think that we looked at this and said, the, the model of, of the customers and the type of people that we want to support, we're going to be more impactful if we, if we go at this hard rather than building it slowly over time. And so it was just one of those things where it was always planned to be a venture-backed company from the start. And um, yeah, then we just met some people and it just and things just cascaded into place and it just happened. So um, the exit that we had previously, I think was, it's important to the journey because it allowed me to say, okay, well, there's less financial pressure on myself. Um, yeah. And so I think that in some sometimes that gets, that gets overlooked. It's like sometimes it's really tough and people have to make a decision based on the ability for them to bring in a certain salary and pay themselves a certain amount. I think that's, it's a, it's one of those unspoken things in the, in the startup space where in sometimes it's, it's a, it's a bad word that, you know, that, that someone's taken a salary and it's like, hang on a second, why aren't you re- reinvesting <laughs> that money for the company? And it's like, well, you know, I actually need to live and someone needs to do something and I need to right. pay for this. I need to have my, look after my family. And so I think some people are in a, in a much tougher spot than me. I'm very, very lucky that we had an exit. It wasn't a ridiculous exit, but it, t- it takes the pressure off from many, many parts of life. And so, it w- so it allows us to, it allows us to take the path that we want to take. And I think that we, I knew that going down the venture path would just give us more of the, more of the gasoline to pour on the fire as, as, as we, as we really hit product market fit. Absolutely. And that goes back to kind of, you know, under, from the beginning, understanding what you want this company to be. And for anyone creating a company out there, it's like, where do you see the company going? What do you want your company to become? And that is a big factor into the venture backed model, obviously, understanding right. size, understanding scale, understanding addressable market, etc, to really understand if you need venture backing, and it's a very small percentage of companies that actually go that route anyways. And one of the things you talked about, you just kind of glossed over a little bit, is like, we met some people who raised $2 million. I got to dig into that a little bit more though, Pete, because for most people, they're going to be like, wait, what? Like, I don't just meet people and make, you know, raise $2 million. I'm curious about that process. Like, who were you looking um, at, at targeting at that point in time when you're going to get venture backing? I'm curious, it's like your approach to that too. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of just lucky things that collided at the same time. So um, we actually, someone put me in touch with Jason Calacanis and um just said hey jason's coming to sydney to do his launch festival you should you should go and you should go and pitch on stage he'd just be that you'd be the kind of people that that um i just think your story is interesting and it's, it's worth telling so we went and did that and um it was it was just a cool experience to go and do it it's just good to get feedback from someone on the spot and then right at the end of the event i was stood there with like ready to go, had the flight booked to, to happen soon. It just takes a, takes a long time to get from Sydney over to Sydney airport. So um, I was ready to go. And and then Jason gets up on stage and he's like, cool, thanks so much. Hey, we just want to make a little announcement. I know we said that we were going to, I think right at the start, he said that they were going to choose a company to to join his, his accelerator. And what he actually did was that right at the end of the event, he's like, hey, there's just three companies I want to get on stage. And he pulled out a bunch of companies and said, I'm going to take you all to San Francisco. You're going to join me Accelerate. I'm going to give you $100,000 and we're going to go for this. It was like, huh, okay. Yeah, look, I'll, you know what? I'll, I wasn't really wasn't really thinking about that. Um, there were some other great companies. And so, you know, you just kind of put yourself down and say, oh, look, there's other people who are much better fitted to this. It's not going to be us. Hence, I'm standing at the back with my backpack on. And then I'm standing on stage with my backpack on and everyone else is wearing a suit. Um, and so, and then it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know what? I'll believe when I see it. Yeah. Then they send through some, they, they say, hey, can you send us this? I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll believe it when I see it. And then they send through some paperwork and then you sign it. And then you're like, yeah, but still, I, I, and then there's money, there's $100,000 in your bank account. And they're saying, all right, we'll get here in, in a month because we start then. And so Jesus. 
it just happened really quickly and you know i've and again like you might for those of you who are following along you know i've got i've got twin girls and um so i've got a family in melbourne to still kind of think about and so but it was just one of those things where you just i think that often the sacrifice made in the family is made by the the person supporting the the one who's chasing the dream and so yeah you i, I have a very supportive wife who has our own little business and wants to wants to do her own thing as well and is doing really well with it but made she made the sacrifice and, and said just go do it yeah look it's you're only going to be away for this long there's christmas in the middle there you can come back and so yeah we, i just moved to san francisco for three months and and went for it and from that experience i'm actually i'm just curious too about what that was like and what that ended up uh being for those who are you know thinking about an accelerator or even like looking at launch for instance i'm yeah. curious like what was your experience how was that so I, th I think the way to think about launch is if you want to get in front of a lot of people who might back your business, it's an incredible model for it. It's not, and, and, and Jason freely admits this, this isn't, hey, let's sit down and talk about our feelings and spend time on <laughs> and these kind of things. It's just, yeah. it, it's go, go, go. It's, it's, I'll see you on Thursday, come with a, a much better pitch than you had last time. And then you better have a much better pitch than you brought this time. And so you walk in the room and then there's seven big name VCs sat at the front of the room who all represent hundreds of millions of dollars. And yeah, it just happens very quickly. And so it's week after week after week you're pitching and you just get a lot better at it. Again, you don't have that like fraternity set up where you're really tight with a bunch of people who are going through the same thing. Like you do a little bit of that, but it's not, you're not all living in a dorm doing your thing. It's, it's, Hey, run your business every other day of the week, keep that chart going up and to the right. And we will, we'll just keep on getting you in front of incredible investors. And so the experience for me, for me was that I think maybe like week four, someone, someone introduced me to a bunch of people and said, here's 10 people you need to get in front of and, and go and pitch this to who, who might really know what you're doing and really like what you're up to. And so, um, week eight, we actually had, a, there was a, there was a fund out of the, out of the Valley who we we're speaking to, and they made an offer to us. And this offer came through when I was actually back in, back in Melbourne over Christmas, it came through like January 5th and it was a decent offer. Um, but then there was someone else who I was quite progressed with a New York fund, um, called Tribeca. And we just had a bunch of conversations that just felt really good and felt really positive. And so I called Chip from Tribeca and said, Hey, look, we've actually had an offer here. We'll probably take it because it's pretty good, but I really, I really liked our conversations. I'm like, if I could get to New York in in like for tomorrow morning, can we sit down? He's like, yeah, let's do it. So oh, wow. I literally, it was actually my wife's birthday. Is just talking about sacrifice. Um, so, <laughs> and this call was happening at five o'clock in the morning because it's what, what you have to do when you're from this part of the world. And oh, good boy. Um, and that was and that's something like three p.m. New York time. So it's not exactly a yeah. It's it's a tough call. <laughs> so so I was yeah. like, well, yeah. Uh, actually, um, yeah. I need to I need to leave today. So I left that that afternoon. Flew to New York uh, straight from the airport to the to the boardroom. Sat down just talked it through first time I would ever met I'd ever met Chip and his team. And then he's like, cool, come back tomorrow morning. So I came back tomorrow morning and there's a term sheet on the table and he put in, put in 1.5 of, of the $2 million that we raised. Wow. <laughs> what an experience. I mean, all starting from, from launch, which yeah, what a, what a story I mean, to even have that happen. And it, it is 
one of the things that just shows that there's so many different ways to get funding. I mean, having interviewed so many people have raised venture capital. It's it's a lot of different things. And some of it's just meeting after meeting after meeting. Some of them gone through accelerators that definitely help you out in that regard, whether it be a tech stars, whether it be YC. Um, yeah. There's so many ways to go about fundraising. Everyone has kind of a different story, which is always which is always fun to always fun to hear. One funny part of it that I like is that um, Chip often talks about, and he's like, I can't believe this guy. He came straight. He's like, he offered to leave the next day or the, that same day. He came straight from the airport. We sat down and we just got it done. And it and in my mind, it's like, yeah, of course. And I think that most <laughs> founders who are listening are like, yeah, I'd, I'd walk over glass to, to get to a meeting like that. And so I think in many ways, what the, yeah, it's hard to describe, but I, I feel like there's there's something there that says that, the, the founders are actually willing to go and put really put the work in um, and something that you look at as being like normal and ordinary an investor looks at and says that's extraordinary and I just find it interesting that actually we as founders are willing to do the work we as founders are willing to make the sacrifice and take the leap and it's and sometimes maybe the VCs don't always realize how much of a leap we're taking as well yeah and I mean there's a lot that goes into that and to have a successful company eventually I mean that's what it takes and uh, I think one I think it might have been Zuleika Strassner that was on the show uh, founder of Zero. I think she did like 200 something meetings with people I mean just like there's no other option if you want to make this thing work and you can't raise funding yet you just keep going until you until you can and obviously there's a point where in some things it's like okay maybe it's the wrong, the wrong idea but there's a fine line between that but you know decision to pers- persevere and to quit and you, you just keep pushing yeah Absolutely. And from that then, going through launch then, and then meeting the investor, getting the investment from them. From there, I mean, I'm curious about the timeline here, not necessarily the specifics, but from there then, what happened next in terms of the company? How did you use that, the use of funds for that, you know, couple million of that round? Yeah. So I think I, I knew that there was, there's probably two paths we could take. We could, we could do the, maybe this is less relevant now, but we could do the model of moving to the Valley and like taking taking an office there or moving to New York and taking an office and building a team of a team of six and doing it that way and, and going for it. Um, or we go for the, like for the remote model, build a team remote based wherever, just get, get the best people in wherever they are, who might be the like underdogs in life rather than the people who are, Oh yeah. You know, I did my, I did my three years at Google and my two years at Facebook. <laughs> so, yeah. And so we ended up going for that, for the, let's go fully remote. Like it was, it was again at the time when everyone was like, Hey, only, I think Basecamp did that. And that's, that's the only company in the world I can think of there that has ever done remote and done it well. And so we were like, yeah. well, let's go fully remote. We'll, we'll just see what, we'll see how we can go. Like we'll recruit everywhere. We'll do it in a bunch of different ways and we'll just see what lands. And if we find that we're starting to get a concentration in, in the U S and that the people that we're interviewing in the U S are better than the people that we're interviewing around, around the world, then, then that just tells us. And so in the end, we, we just found incredible people just all over the place, just all over the world in <laughs> like, an Amer- like an American guy living in Beijing, like an incredible um, growth marketer out of Singapore. Um, you know, like mums, people who are people who are running a family and, but also used to do incredible things. Like one of our head of customer success used to work at the London Olympics and did a bunch Jeez. of project stuff there. And now's got a family and families are really important to her and and as, as it should be for a lot of people but is not in that position of living in downtown san francisco but lives on the you know beautiful beautiful part of the northern new south wales coast in in australia and so it's like actually we can get we can get really really driven people who totally get our mission who are just based everywhere we can just do this thing through 
Slack and Zoom, which again, at the time, even a year ago, was a lot more extraordinary than, extraordinary than it is now. And so we just yeah. team all over the place and we've, and, you know, allowed us to, allowed us to go and get super smart developers who are, who don't have that zip code. And so they, and so they don't charge you that, you know, $200,000 for charging salary. Yeah. Um, so it just, it meant that we could build a great team and, but also give ourselves time to do it and keep our, keep our burn pretty, pretty um, conservative while we're still finding proper product market fit. For that, Pete, understanding that, you know, Basecamp was one of the, you know, only shining examples of that. I mean, what went into that decision to be like, yeah, we're going to go this route when really at the time, like you said, there wasn't really anyone doing the remote team fully. Like, take me through that decision-making process for that. I, I would I would honestly say that I think that it really reflected our customer base. So our customer base typically is solopreneurs, people who are running a direct-to-consumer startup, who are doing their own thing, who are hustling, who maybe used to work at Bank of America and now they don't want to do that anymore because they've, they went off and had a baby and then they decided that they don't want to go back to the bank anymore. They want to go and start a business and do their own thing and have, have freedom and, and struck and like structure in their life that allows them to, to look after their family as well. And I think the, the biggest, probably the biggest opportunity for America and the, and the world at the moment is saying there's so much untapped potential that is, that's being, held back by thinking that you know just because you're a mum you can't do it i think there's so there's so many incredible people out there who are undervalued underutilized underappreciated and so we were saying look we can get them we'll go get them like i'll i'll take that i'll take that risk i know our customers are just like this i want people who are who our customers can relate to as well through the business and so let's go with let's go with that let's let's build that out and make sure that we're there's there's a risk and there's a conversation you have to have with your and with your investors at that point who you know expect you to maybe take a an address on you know in soho or whatever and have a little loft but that wasn't going to get us the kind of customer the kind of people running the business who looked like our customers so i'd rather have a, a mum from wyoming who runs our runs our um customer service than you know a marketing pro out of out of one of the big schools yeah with that too, then with that team, then you raise the funding, build the team. Understand you want to go remote. How were you acquiring your first customers? I mean, how are you getting the first people on on Ampjar? Then how did you go from there? Yeah, I'd say it was. It started off being um, mostly through communities. So the one thing that these brands were that was really common between these brands was that they're all doing their own thing, and so what they often a lot often their learning comes from being parts of other communities and being connected with we call them like like their their bbfs their best business friends and so you know people who are who are around them who they become they're the, they're where they they bounce questions technical stuff but also um like life affirming stuff so what we found was that these businesses that are that are building these these great little Shopify stores that are turning out great content on Instagram. They, they all have their like best business friends around them and they, they're there whenever they need them to ask a question about, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Hey, have you guys tried this? Have you tried that? And so that word of mouth for us was super, super powerful. Um, but then there's a time where like, word of mouth doesn't always accelerate at the speed that everyone hopes it does. And it can't be your biggest growth channel for, for, for most of us. And so 
what we did from that point was we said, and I've got some friends who have, who have um, trodden this path before, but there's two Australian companies um, that you, one you've probably heard of called Canva and one you probably haven't, which is called Who Gives a Crap? Um, so Canva is like the Photoshop alternative. That's a, that's like our big unicorn down here that everyone likes to use as a good example. And who gives a crap is is an incredible toilet paper, toilet paper company. Um, hence the name and, um, they're just both brilliantly run great cultures. And what they, what, what they do that's in common is that they, they both have teams in the Philippines. And so they have a team in the Philippines that they give absolute autonomy to, um, and they both have their customer service cost and, um, uh, and that kind of function of the business out of the Philippines. And so, uh, we had someone on board who was ex Canva, who had built a lot of that team for them and talking to, to friends who are, uh, who gives a crap looking at their model and just loved that, loved how they were doing it, loved how they, how they were approaching it and how, and how you can get scale in that kind of environment. And so, and you can only do it when you're a remote company like this. And so what we did is we went to the Philippines and said, we're looking for what we're going to call scouts. So people who are out there constantly looking for the, the right kind of brands, the brands who are really kicking goals, who are, who are really doing great things, who we want to be a part of the community because they're going to be the ones who lead this out for us. And so we now have three full-time scouts and someone who runs a team all based out of the Philippines, all got... Um, flexibility to, to work the hours that they work that's relevant for them um, and all living at home because uh, the big thing in the Philippines is that the commute is a, is a killer. So in the Philippines, if you want to drive into Manila, people leave home at six o'clock in the morning to get there at 8.30. And so wow. when you can turn around to them and say, hey, this is the new job and PS, you don't have to go and work in, this, in the city. They're, they're like, oh my God, this is the dream. I want to do this. Because it means that I, I literally get five hours of my day that I don't otherwise that, that I wouldn't have otherwise had uh, every yeah. single day, and so um, we have a team of scouts over there who now search for, reach out to, and build um, yeah build our user base by just scouting, finding them, finding people, and yeah, it's that's probably our, our biggest growth channel right now. That's a really interesting model to use that. I'm, I'm curious in, how, in that scouting program, like how many guidelines did you, you give them from the start? Like was, you know, here's a top level goal we want, have at it. I mean, what were some things you were you implemented with that? Because I think it's a really good idea. I'm actually now thinking about that with, with the podcast, actually. I'm curious of what you're doing with that. Yeah, so, so we, have, um, we have a top line we have a top line idea of who's a customer of ours. So given we're a community, we actually, we're not an open platform. So brands are required to apply to join. So when someone applies to join, we look at them and say, okay, is this brand, do they have an interesting product? Do they have great content? And do they have customers who love them? And so we use those three as our filters to say, is this the kind of brand that we want to have on board at, at any point in time? And so that kind of um, lens was then given to the scouts team that said, we're looking for brands that hit these three things. Here's an example. Here's another example. Here's an example. Then here's an example of someone who probably hits two, but doesn't hit the other one. And this is why it's a problem. And so I was actually talking to um, another company the other day who was asking about this model that we have in the Philippines and said, like, how does this work? And one of the questions that came through, and you know, I don't, I don't take this as a bad question, but I think it's a really interesting question was, and so do you like, are they like external? Like, how do you treat them? Are they like part of the team? Like, what do you, what do you do different? It's like, no, they're a hundred percent part of the team. So they're, they're just, they're the same as every other employee in the company where there's no hierarchy. There's no on like referring to them. 
as a as a group and like treating them really separate or anything like that they're a they're a function of the business the same way that engineering is a function of the business and of course they've got you got to label them and sometimes you talk to them you talk about them on mass like you do the engineering team but they're they're all individuals who have the same voice and join in the same and yeah there's no difference so i think it's really important to make sure that there's enough education that goes on up front um but you're also then just more so it's a cultural thing making sure that they feel like they're 100 percent part of the business and there's no hierarchy involved with your with your platform you mentioned that people have to apply as well brands have to apply how do you decide to do it that way versus just having anyone can kind of hop on board uh and then what does that process kind of look like yeah it's quite it's quite technical so we when someone joins we want to make sure that they have a great time from the start and that everyone has a great time and that the network improves whenever another brand joins. So we're a true network effect company. So as soon as someone joins the platform, everyone's experience of the platform just gets a bit better because they, they're someone who they can match with, who they can, um, they can shout out or be shouted out by. And so our problem is, is that if we, if we open the gates or if we lower the bar, then um, we get to a point where, someone might be shouted out by someone that they don't want to be shouted out by um, or that they're having a, yeah, they, they have an experience or where they're shared by someone who doesn't represent value to them and doesn't, doesn't represent a good fit or they start seeing that they match with companies and they click through and they're like, uh, okay, yeah, that's maybe not, not what I have in mind. Whereas right now we are only absolutely 10 out of 10 brands, like a star brands, people who, everyone looks at and says, Oh, like, that's a cool story. Like all of them have great about uh, like great about us pages. There's a, there's a story behind them. There's, they're all, they all represent something which, which is just perfect to that, to that model, because essentially we're asking them to be an, to be an influencer. We're asking them to use their, their relationship that they have with their customers to then evangelize for this other brand and just share something about them. So we, if we change the quality metric, then it becomes a, we then have to include tiering and all this kind of stuff. Whereas right now it's, it's everybody's in together. Everybody sits there together and, and can, can work together. For that then, I mean, understanding you're, you're scouting, you're scouting companies out to try to find more for the platform, but then you have to have them apply because there has to be a, a filter for them. Are mm. you finding that there's just like, there's so many companies out there, there's plenty of options or are there challenges on that side of things? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, there's there's definitely a whole lot of companies out there. I don't think there's any limitation. We're not, we're certainly not at the point where we're hitting, um, we're hitting roadblocks. Um, yeah, it's just it hasn't really it hasn't really come up. I would say that there's there's areas that we haven't gotten into very well yet. So, for instance, if a brand joins today that has that is a accessories company and they want to talk to women in their twenties and thirties and forties who are interested in style and fashion and maybe they, they might be vegan or organic or something like that, then perfect. And there's a lot of those categories that I could name that are just, we have great um, penetration in with lots of different companies. There's heaps and heaps of options. If you're a, if you're a brand that comes in and you want to talk to guys in their sixties and seventies, we're, we're leaner. So we don't have many brands in that space. And so it's harder and it just means that this is like the this is the challenge of a network effect company. It's like, hey, it's great to be able to say you're a network effect company, but the challenge can be that, well, you need to make sure the network exists for people to, <laughs> to then join um, in the first place. And so that first the first adopter phase of it is a is a challenge. Um, and it's even the same geographically. So we're only in um, 
two markets, which is Australia and New Zealand and US and Canada. And so when we want to get into, say, Singapore or the UK next, there's going to be a zero base that we build from. And so we need to, the growth challenge there will be saying, how do we scale up a market? How do we get people in without um, not give them any value for a while, but have them, <laughs> have them want to join at that point and, and then stick around enough so that everyone gets value when we say, oh, okay, go now, like go, let's go. Um, that'll be a challenge. That'll be something we have to, a path we have to cross. And, and the other, the other level to that is local. So we're really excited about the, the opportunity locally. Like obviously we've seen how much uh, the local, like our local infrastructure has digitized over the last couple of years and particularly last six months is that, you know, your local butcher is now on, is now on Facebook or, or has a website. And so, yeah. and so we think there's a really big opportunity to say, well, how do we get these local brands on board to then work together and, um, and share each other and then start this model of, well, instead you, you used to walk down the street and drop into the butcher when you were dropping in to buy your bread. But now how do we, how do we work this out so that we can, we can refer customers to each other, even though them being on the street is not as important as it used to be. With Amtar so far, Pete, you start with this, obviously everything starts with an idea and then you, you, you build this company, you raise some money. Like at this point in 2020 here, I mean, what type of traction have you achieved so far? How big is the team? I'm curious about that too. Yeah. How big is the team? So it's about, so I think there's now 14 full-timers and we've got about six part-timers in the team. Um, we have about five or 600 brands active on the platform. So fully active, shouting each other out. Um, as you know, again, for the, we, we talked about the pricing model before. So that means that we don't have ridiculous revenues because that's just not the model that we're going for. And that's, yeah. we're totally comfortable with that because it just means that I'd, I'd be happy not to charge anybody because it means that everybody's active and we have hundreds and hundreds of shout outs happening every single hour, um, which is becomes, becomes really valuable and it, and it, it means that people achieve value really quickly. Um, and so, yeah, we, we focus on how many shout outs we have in a day, how many shout outs we, um, how many brands we have doing those shout outs and then just making sure that when someone shouts someone out, our, our big job is to say, how quickly can we get them shouted out in return? And so the more shout outs there are, the more brands they're matched with that are relevant matches to them that are really, really good matches. Um, that's, that's what we're aiming for. So traction wise, yeah, we're, we're growing, we're growing really well. I think, I think we've really hit the product market fit. We know what we're doing and, and our job now is to, is to continually add brands in a way that's responsible and that keeps the same filters up um, and then allows us to, to really clearly identify how we go and get the next 5,000 customers on board. So I'd say we're still focused now on getting it right, making sure it's right. And, and then, and then we can start pouring more gasoline on. With that too, understanding that, I mean, what are those conversations like with your investors when you're really trying to figure out, you know, get it right, get a lot of shout outs, get all that traction on that side of things, but not necessarily on the, the customers yet per se. Like what are those conversations like with the investors on the way? Yeah. I think, I think when you've got a, when you've got a really good, honest, open relationship with your investors, it, it really helps. I can't, I really can't imagine being in a position. I've seen it before where people are really avoiding their investors. They just don't want to, they, they really don't want to have that conversation. Like we've always had um, formal calls set up every two weeks, which some people say, wow, that's, that's super onerous on you. That's not a good thing. My view of it is 
no, I want, I want them to know the ins and outs. I want them to be there, um, to be really tight on, on what we're doing so that they can feel us. They can sense, they can sense where we're going. And, and then when, when it comes to it, they they want to, uh, they want to put us out there. They want to get us out there and say, all right, now, we're, now we're going, now we're, now we're doing this. And yeah, there's no hesitation because they've seen all the dots and they're drawing the line. They can see how it's coming together. Um, so yeah, I'd say the conversations right now are, um, it's, I mean, the, the updates are pretty short. It's like, look, charts are up and to the right. Here they are. Let's like go go take a look at them. And then we, have, we spend more time talking about what's happening in our parts of the world with lockdowns and various things going on. Um, but it's, yeah, in, in some ways, it, sometimes you get to a point where it's like, well, we're not doing a whole heap in terms of recruitment. We're not doing a whole heap in terms of making massive product changes. Now it's just about marketing. Now it's just about like getting this right and, and watching the patterns. And so right now we're watching the patterns and we're just drawing it out and we've, yeah, we've still got we've still got good good um money in the bank so we're not under we're not under pressure to say we have to go and raise it anytime soon but at the right time we'll we'll make that move to that point just to go a little bit deeper on, on the COVID situation i mean with working with a variety of brands and you know different companies being impacted in different ways i mean how have you navigated that COVID situation with uh you know your community at Ampjar? yeah we did actually you know one one thing with one thing that we did for a while there is we said when no one really knew what this was looking like and how it was going we because we're a network effect business we didn't want to have a situation where a bunch of people said look i i really value this but i don't know what's going on i i have to like i've literally just moved out of my store that we were that we were doing and we'd fit it out and we've lost a lot of money there um now we've gone fully online i don't i don't quite know what to do that that is a catalyst for people for people like putting it putting an account on pause stopping what they're doing and those kind of things and so what we did for a period there is we just said, look, we don't know what's happening. We know that we can do this. So why don't we just, why don't we just not bill you for the next couple of months? So we'll just, everyone across the board, we're just not going to charge you. We could do it case by case. We could make you come and apply. We could, we could do that kind of stuff. Or we could, we could just say to you, look, we're going to look after you. We're going to make sure that you, that, that you don't have this bill because that bill might, might be, might make a big difference. So we just turned it off. We just said, look, we're just not going to bill for a couple of months. And I think it was maybe three just right in the middle of it when it was like March, I was thinking it was May, June, July. And it just meant that, um, it just meant that it was a, it, it brought us really close to our customers. And I think in some ways, you know, the feedback we got from it was great. I mean, you hope you get a lot of feedback when you make a product totally free. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it was one of those things, I think it was just a seminal moment for us because it just drew that line and allowed us to say, look, we get it. We're totally with you. We're doing this people to people. And, um, and we, I think that it's been so different. A lot of people say, look, retail has gone from this to this, like, look how much money is being spent online now. But what a lot of people miss is that the numbers are all like across the board are up when you aggregate them, but there are industries and categories that are just having a terrible time still. So if you're a, if you're in the wedding space, if you're making formal wear, if you're, if you're selling like nice shoes, people aren't buying that stuff and it, and it's because there's no events to go to. Right. Um, for certain categories. Yeah. Like the, in terms of grocery shopping, so much of that has moved online when it wasn't online before. And that, and that represents a massive number, but the parts that you're missing is that there are, there are industries that have, that have just missed seasons. Like all, they might be wholesaling kids, kids wear and 
no one's going outside in <laughs> in this period because <laughs> there's no there's nowhere to wear that coat. You know, there's nowhere to there's nowhere to um, go and do that thing. And so and so like yeah, if you're selling certain stuff, you're having a terrible time. And so what we wanted to do was make sure that we were looking after people for that period and that we we now represent something for them which is essentially free growth that they can look at now and they and they experienced it they got the value out of it when when we gave them a chance to and now they now they know what they get out of us and they they will not cancel and they they just keep going and it goes to show i mean with with having the investment obviously allows you on the cash flow side of things be okay with that but thinking long term in your business to be able to keep people around and find a strategy that's okay we're going to invest in these people these are you know the basis of this company moving forward and this community is everything for us and understanding that and having the cash on hand as well to be able to pull it off uh i mean in the long in the long run it makes seems like it's going to be the right choice. Uh, impossible to say right away. Obviously, we're still in it in, in many ways, but uh, that long-term investment sure. seems to be the, the right move. And and with that, and kind of that point of the, the long-term, I mean, what is the, the, the grand vision for Amtar like, moving forward? Yeah, we, tapped, we touched on this a little bit, but I think that the model for us as well is is moving into local as well. So I think that we've, you know, as as we as we are growing now, we're shortening the time that people go from saying I've shared someone and now I got shared back in return. And so for us being able to really draw that line to be happening over hours and not days is really valuable. So right now, if you shout someone out, you might get shouted out again in return, say three or four days later, which is fine because it just means, Hey, if you want more traffic this week, well then do some stuff this week. Um, but what I, what I can't wait for is being able to say to people, look, there's, there's enough of these brands out there. There's enough brands that are doing great work that, have great audiences that you know we can be in any channel so right now we're face we're um instagram and email and post checkout but if someone said tomorrow that look all these brands are now starting to use tiktok well then we'll move there as well and we'll add it as, as a channel so we're always going to stay where the brands are and, and stay where they have their power of influence and we just want people to be able to look at us and say i've worked hard for this audience i can now use this i can use my um my relationships that i have here to help to help me grow even more so for us, it's about saying moving into local to help help get into that space and make a difference over there and shortening that time that we allow people to to get the value back in return. With your experience at the the agency previously, how did that impact how you run and how you, you know, looked at growing Amtra? Yeah, I mean, the, the agency was a funny experience for so many reasons. One was because we were new in that space and we knew that space so well and not many people knew that space very well retaining staff was a massive struggle because someone would come on board and they would they would be underemployed before and we we would find people who were who had all the ingredients to be good at social media when there was no one who was good at social media because it wasn't a thing and so no one had 2 years of running of running social media for a certain size brand they just didn't have it yeah. and so we when we were employing people we were getting them out of there's a great story of someone who was working as a receptionist at a, at a real estate company and stayed with us for literally a year and a half, maybe two years at most, and then moved on to be marketing manager for a massive multi, multi-million dollar um, apparel company. That's just a household name. And it's just, and it, it's because, and our challenge was that we were employing them and we were paying them $40,000 as a, as a 22 year old. And then two and a half or two, one and a half or two years later, a brand will come in and say, oh, I'm going to pay you $80,000 because you've got two years 
experience and and so we just couldn't keep it <laughs> couldn't keep it um yeah so right. so i think that one it was it was rough but it's also i'm also really proud of it because we can look at the you can look at all the people that started here and have that on their on their resume or on their linkedin page and you can look at that and say that's just really cool that we took this many people who went from here and we took them there and now they're here. Like, I, I love that. I love being able to look at that. And so, so I think that we, one thing that really taught us is it's all the kind of, it's all the cliche stuff. It's like the value of culture, like really being able to, to, um, to stand up and allow people to flourish, even though they might be underdogs, I think was always really important. And we still deeply believe in that now. Um, and then I think it's also just being able to really stand up for what you believe in. So, one thing as well is that, you know, is that when you're running that kind of agency and you're, you know, you're 24 and you're walking into an agent, you're walking into a bank and telling them how to do something. It just gave us a lot of belief in, in that when you know what you're doing, you really know what you're doing. And when you know a space, you really know a space. And so, you know, have confidence. It doesn't, it's not about, and it's probably pretty easy for me to say being a white male, but when you can walk into a room and say something with confidence and, and make sure that you're taken seriously, that's a really great life skill to have. And, we, and I want all of our team to deeply believe that and just deeply believe in the mission because when everyone knows what they're doing and why they're doing it, it really makes a difference. Absolutely. And and I'm a huge reader, so I am always have to ask guests, have there been any any books, whether it be personal or professional, that have been impactful for you, Pete? Yeah, I, I really like... Um, there's a book called um, Turning the Flywheel by Jim Collins. It's, it's sort of a book. He Obviously, the, he had a bunch of books, but he created this really small book, and I can't, remember, I can't remember what he called it, but it's like 50 pages long, and it's just about flywheels and the theories of flywheels and why it works and where it comes from. I highly recommend that to anyone. Um, and then there's The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. I really I really like that as well. I, I, um, I just find the way that it was written was really powerful. It just it's just a really good way to to look at what you're doing and assess it and think about your think about the challenges that you're taking on and, and why you're taking them on. And one of the things too with running this company and you ran a company before as well, how do you recharge away from work, Pete? Yeah, I mean I was I was thinking about talking about that with books. I, I'm a big um, I'm big at getting out, getting away from work, having clear space and you know, we've got We've got veggie patches in our, at our house, which I love just for just getting out there and tending to something. And we've got a, we've got a beehive and it's just, for me, it's about getting out into, into the country and, and being away from the, the stress and strain of it all. And even, um, I know you talk about like, you know, obviously being a podcast is, it's, I love listening to business podcasts, but I also, I need to be able to switch off sometimes. And so being able to listen to podcasts that just take take me away and take me completely into into something else and make me not think about work for a time because <laughs> I, I, I can't I can't listen to Masters of Scale at eleven o'clock at night because it yeah. means I'm going to get my get my book back out and start working again <laughs> and so there's a lot of great content out there but I think being able to listen to some comedy on a podcast and get in the garden and plant some new peas and you know get and then get stuck into the beehive and get some honey out like that's a that's for me is getting away. I think it's really interesting that point you mentioned of something, yeah, something non-business in the day. I mean, it's kind of absurd for some people to think about, wait, what? Like not business? Like, yes, it actually helps you in your business uh, to take the time away and like kind of free your mind and whatever that may be for people. And there's you know, heard a variety of answers on the, on the show and whether it be books that are not business or podcasts that aren't, it's just finding whatever works for you. I think it's interesting that everyone has their own kind of experience, but Whatever it is, yeah. there's always something that's been helpful for people uh, to find that. I'd like to share those because you know maybe someone 
finds out that, oh, yeah, I'm going to try some books that aren't business books or something out there, which can be helpful. Totally. The one other thing I, I always talk about as being valuable was is team sports. So I'm a, I'm a not great soccer player, um, <laughs> but I love playing it. And I love, uh, which I think everyone can just picture me just running around the field, falling over. And I'm maybe not that bad. I have but, a lot of images um, going through my head. Yeah, right now. I'm like, oh, oh, man. Oh, man. Don't pass Pete we, the ball. We wear, Jesus. we wear black and white stripes just to help you with a visual. <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, what I really like about team sports is at work, I'm the CEO. And like I chair, a, I chair the board of a charity as well. And it's always like, I wouldn't say it's like everyone's looking to me, but even, but when I was running the agency, you know, you'd walk into a room and you're, you'd always be talking about social media. And so you would be the, the smartest person in the room on social media. And so it's, and so everything you're doing can sometimes be, it's like, everyone's just looking up to you and saying, right, what, what's your decision? What's your decision? The thing about team sports is that, especially when you're not that good is it's really even. So you walk into a changing room and there's there's like on our team is teachers and architects and um, kids out of college and like just builders and tilers and plumbers and people just in all areas of life. Um, but when you pull the kid on and you, you're running around out there and you're passing the ball and you're setting up the goal or whatever you're doing, you it's there's no hierarchy that that hierarchy from work or from anything else you do in life doesn't carry over into that domain. So in that domain, you you know you might you might bring some leadership skills with you, but equally you're not going to be the best player on the field, or and you and you certainly won't be every week. And so it just means that you've got a you've got an environment there where it's just really equalizing. And I think it's a really good thing to have that you can put yourself into that situation so that you're not just the person kind of walking around thinking that you know everything and that you're the one that people should be listening to all the time. Yes. And, and yeah, but it is, I've played basketball with a, a group of people before in, in Los Angeles and it's kind of, it's pretty evenly matched and people from all different, whether business backgrounds, whatever, but like to your point, like on the court, then you're just like, Oh, that's just, everyone's just one of the guys playing basketball. You know, you don't yeah. really think about the hierarchy or anything like that. And, uh, it is funny how the, how that goes and people giving everyone else crap after afterwards, like, wow, I, it's just funny to see the interactions because you get, you know, one of the people was like an investor, uh, pretty well known in LA and it's like other people are like, Oh, okay. Pretty high up. But you just don't think about that when you're playing you're kind of just like, Oh, Definitely. just, just one of the guys. And, and where can people go to learn more about Ampjar and connect with you if they want Pete? Yeah. Just Ampjar.com. Uh, we're not very active on Twitter and I'm, I'm, I'm I need to be, but I'm not really, uh, I'm, I'm at Pete, I'm at Pete Davis UK on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to be more, I'm going to, make a make a resolution now on re on record that i'm gonna <laughs> be active and get into it more um and so yeah just amjar.com reach out to us you can you can always email me i'm always interested to talk to people as well and get different perspectives so it's just pete at amjar.com as well perfect i'll be sure to link it up in the show notes just go grind.com slash podcast and expect a response from pete every three weeks on twitter uh set expectations low <laughs> so you can exceed them pete that's all thank you for taking the time to come on the show today man <laughs> not at all thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.